Hello out there and welcome to The Meme Stream, the podcast following meme students, present and past on their adaptive walks of life as they embark on a career in evolutionary biology. The Meme is a unique master's program that enables upcoming evolutionary biologists from all over the globe to study and research in Europe. This podcast will travel all over Europe and the world, leaping, as Dawkins says, from brain to brain, meme to meme, telling tales of our scientific ventures and research projects. I'm Kate Garland, one of your traveling hosts and creator of the Meme Stream, coming to you from Montpellier, France, and this is episode two. This episode is brought to you by the fantastic Henry North, who is right now in the very cold Boston, USA for his third meme semester, and has also been recruited into the meme stream traveling team. Now, like Merve in our last episode, Henry got to interview the past meme student Raphael when they were both in Montpellier, France for the Joint Congress of Evolutionary Biology this year. Henry is going to interview Raphael about his past meme project looking into the punctuated equilibrium of color evolution in Birds of Paradise. And just to remind you, this podcast will very quickly plunge into the pool of evolutionary thought. So if you find yourself lost, have a look on the Meme Stream blog for extra bits and pieces of information about Raphael's project to help you along the way. And don't forget that the main aim of the Meme Stream is to keep this conversation of evolutionary thought going. So if you have a question about something you heard during the interview, just ask it at the bottom of each blog post where either the interviewed scientist or another helpful and knowledgeable meme can answer you. And now over to Raphael and Henry. Hi, I'm Henry. I'm here in Montpellier for the second Joint Congress on Evolutionary Biology, and I'm with Raphael. So first, can you tell me about your meme trajectory? Where did you go in meme, and where have you been since? Um, Hi, Henry, and thanks for having me here. So I started my meme trajectory in Groningen, in the Netherlands. Uh, Then I went to Munich, Germany, then I went to Harvard, United States, and then I finished with uh, Uppsala in Sweden, and um, your question was also where, what have I been doing that since then? Yes. So uh, then after the end of my meme program, I accepted a, a PhD position in Groningen. So I'm based there right now. It's been one year. Fantastic. And so today we'll be talking about sexual selection and speciational change in the evolution of bird plumage coloration. So. Where did you do that project? So that was my last project, the one in Uppsala. And so what was the question that you were trying to answer in this project? So I studied birds of paradise. These are um, probably the family of birds that is the most striking in terms of diversity of colors and and mating behavior, dances, all kinds of things. And well, they have been studied for a very long time for all their very conspicuous uh, characteristics. but the question I was interested in was maybe um, all these sexually selected uh, very bright colors have to do with uh, the speci- speciation, the speciation process in, in this clade. And so my question was this diversity of coloration that we see in birds of paradise today, did it arise in punctuated events? So very kind of all at once during very uh, restricted periods of time or did it evolve uh, slowly and gradually through time and my question was basically well if, if color evolves very very fast at one given moment and then stops uh, kind of stops evolving 
does it evolve very fast at the moment of speciation? And then if yes, then maybe this color has something to do with the species becoming distinct. Mm, excellent. So what would be the relationship between the color of a bird and whether or not one bird becomes two birds? So sexual selection on color, but also on any kinds of other mating cues can be very important when you have two species that are uh, separating from one another because um, the, such cues can prevent nascent species to mate with each other and that's basically what will complete reproductive isolation and then by definition speciation between these two species. So if you have color can be one of the traits that can be used for mate recognition. If, you, if another bird, which is a sister species, is of a different color, you may use this as a cue to not mate with this individual and not produce hybrids between the two species that will be not very fit evolutionarily. Awesome. And so part of the question that you're addressing is this sort of textbook thing that I learned about in high school, which was punctuated equilibrium versus Darwinian gradualism, which I, I know has always been a very contentious issue. Um, some people refer, it to as, refer to it as evolution by jerks and other people refer to it as evolution by creeps. Are you a creep or a jerk? I'm not sure if I am a creep or a jerk. <laughs> yeah, that's a difficult question to answer. Uh, but what I can say is that nowadays, I, th I think it's way less contentious than 40 years ago, uh, punctured equilibrium nowadays, a lot of people have uh, designed methods to detect it, avoiding the biases that were used in the past to, cri to criticize it. So I don't think punctured equilibrium is a controversy anymore. Well, maybe in its original uh, definition, it's not, not so much this. So basically, the original definition of punctured equilibrium is that you have uh, periods of very rapid change, just as I described, and then periods of complete stasis with nothing evolving. And that's also, of course, like very, very um, stringent definition. Nowadays, people kind of agree that evolution can be gradual, of course, but there are periods of time where evolution can just speed up. So if something speeds up for a short period of time, then it may appear as something punctuated. And nowadays people have used like molecular phylogenies and only extant species, so they avoid the difficulties of the fossils uh, to detect this and that has been described in a lot of taxa and for a lot of traits. Awesome. So coming back to the project, what was your role exactly? Did you use a lot of already recorded data or did you take measurements yourself? So half and half. I got half of my data myself. So I went to the Natural History Museum in Stockholm to collect uh, colored data with a spectrometer. So I basically took the reflectance profiles of the bird feathers in the basement of that museum, basically. Um, the other part of the data came from Australia, so we have a collaborator there, whom I just contacted, just I found his, uh, I found his name in a paper, I just asked him, and yeah, he was happy to share his data. Awesome. And so you were creeping around at the Stockholm Museum. Uh, were the samples that we were using historical, or were they recently collected? They were historical, so like most of them were 100 years old. Uh, sometimes more. Um, most of them came from a series of expeditions that were uh, sent to Papua New Guinea by uh, a team from the, the museum in Stockholm. So like this Swedish team going there every two years to collect uh, birds. Yeah, awesome. They would have been awesome specimens as well. I know for a while 
including in sort of traditional painting, birds of paradise were depicted without wings because the, the specimens were so damaged by the time they got back. So people used to think they sort of slept on clouds and were sort of too beautiful to be on Earth. I guess that's why you're interested in their colour uh, patterns, because they are just so spectacular. Uh, they are indeed very spectacular. It's interesting how even with such, after such a long time, the colour did not fade so much. So you can really see how, how bright all these uh, colors are. Iridescent colors are also very impressive where you will change the angle with which you look at the feather and it will turn from black to complete green, almost fluorescent. Awesome, awesome. So uh, what were the key sort of outcomes of your study? So the question was, do we have a punctual equilibrium in this uh, color evolution? The answer basically is yes. So far with the tests I've run and the methods I've used, the answer is 100% yes. There is a very strong component, a punctuated component, which means that basically most of the diversity of color we see today in these birds has arisen at the moment of speciation and then it has evolved very little uh, between speciation events. So I need to run some more uh, backup checks uh, using different methods to see if my results are really robust, but I'm quite confident they will be. Awesome. So a lot of people working on speciation are doing speciation genomics, they're interested in the genes involved in speciation, and so they're looking at it from an inter-specific point of view. You're looking at this from a sort of macroevolutionary perspective, sort of integrating sexual selection using modelling. Did you have much experience in modelling before you started MEME, or is this something you've learned? Uh, I think I had a bit of experience, but uh, really the big part of what I know now came with the MEME, so all this... Uh, um, yeah, like in the meme you have these programming courses that you can have and doing your projects, you can also find a lot of resources, but it really came practicing during my projects and yeah, nowadays, uh, now if I look back to some projects, I'm like, oh, I could have coded this so much better now after, after the next project, so uh, yeah. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the relative sort of interest in empirical versus theoretical work on speciation? Well, I think they're just complimentary, right? I, mean, that, I think that's the right answer, am I right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no right answer. But do you think that one gets more attention than the other currently in the literature? Uh, I, I do think that empirical data get like much more attention now. And, uh, full theoretical uh, studies of speciation, they were very popular in the 2000s. Uh, with like oh when people were asking okay what in, under what conditions speciation can happen so you use model to do, to find this but now we have genomes so people are really looking to as you said these speciation genes uh, gathering a lot of data I think there's a third uh, area which is models that you can apply to empirical data and these are also getting much more attention recently you're a, a theoretician you write you code. A model which is actually a program that you will then fit to your empirical data and that will help you uh, test some hypothesis and these ones are really cool. There's a lot of misunderstanding at least historically about birds of paradise what do you have to say about that? Uh, uh, I'm gonna tell you yeah, maybe a funny story and related to what you uh, mentioned before about these uh, birds without um, uh, that were thought to just uh, land on the clouds and stuff like this because the, spe the first specimens that were brought back to Europe were in really, really bad shape. Uh, actually, the, one of the most famous birds of paradise, which is the greater bird of paradise, is called Paradisea apoda, which means without feet, because the 
first specimen was brought without feet, and people thought, well, that's obviously a bird that has no feet in nature, right? So we'll call it, uh, call it without feet. The other fun fact I learned recently about Birds of Paradise is that they were all brought to Europe and named at this time with a, a, of like great discoveries around Australia and Papua New Guinea. It was at the time where a monarchy was very strong in Europe. So most of these birds, because they were so magnificent, they were of course given the names of uh, royal families or kings or queens of Europe. Uh, one of the birds, though, is named Cicinerus Respublica, and it was named uh, by a relative of Napoleon as a provocation to all the royal families in Europe just after the French Revolution, saying, well, we don't want uh, kingdoms anymore, now we're a democracy, we're going to name our old bird of paradise after democracy. And so you continued working on this project after your last term, is that correct? It is correct. Uh, actually, uh, I see it as kind of a homework thing. Uh, yeah, so the meme projects are, I think we all agree on these are quite short. So at the end of your project, you're just starting to put the finger on something very interesting. So yeah, most people, if you want to get something really cool, uh, just keep going with it and during your free time, yeah. Just take, take a little bit of time after the meme to, to polish your story. Yes, I can. I've only done one short project so far, but that's, I'm in exactly the same situation. <laughs> um, so tell me a bit about uh, what you're working on now in your PhD and where you've, where you've gone since finishing meme. Okay, so I started my PhD in, in, in Groningen uh, about 10 months ago. So uh, I'm working with models and doing theory now. Uh, I'm interested in speciation. And so part of my PhD is to design compute design computer simulations of speciation under certain genetic architectures. So I'm really looking at the effect of the genotype to phenotype map. Do we does it change the outcome of speciation? And can we, in turn, if we have genome data from the wild, can we infer back what kind of uh, genetic architecture was involved in such or such uh, speciation? very theoretical. And so do you see any kind of synthesis between your current PhD and this project that you worked on in the Birds of Paradise? Of course, uh, I think the, the, yeah, the, the common factor is really speciation, so that's really what I am interested in. Uh, how come species happen to, to diversify, uh, what are the causes of this, what are the consequences of this, and can uh, both at like short time scales but also at very long time scales at the scale of phylogeny like when I use the phylogeny of birds of paradise how come we have we see all this diversity in the wild I think the birds of paradise are a very uh, cool example illustrating that interest yeah and so what is it about speciation that you find so interesting um, I think I think the fact that speciation is somehow this uh, almost this byproduct of, of trade-offs of, of the evolution within species. Like speciation is this kind of phenomenon that has to happen at some point. It's mm -hmm. almost a, a response to, to selection, it's a response to evolutionary pressures at some point because you have uh, trade-offs and you have to be specialized on resource A or on resource B, but you can't be specialized on both. At some point species would just diverge. I just find this idea really amazing is because it is a byproduct of of selection, but at the same time, it is the main reason why we see this uh, huge diversity of things around us. Yeah, it is seems incredible that all this beautiful biodiversity is somehow an accident because 
sort of from first principles, it doesn't make sense that any species should want to reduce its potential pool of mates. It's a very pretty accident. So where can we read more about uh, this project that you worked on? Uh, well, so far, I'd say nowhere. <laughs> Maybe you should send me an email, I can send you my poster. Uh, hopefully in the near future I will uh, start working on this manuscript. I have other things to, to finish first, but um, yeah, uh, hopefully it'll be out somewhere at some point. Awesome. Okay, so now the golden question. When can you remember the first time in your life pondering the concept of evolution? Um, as a kid, dinosaurs. <laughs> That's the short answer. <laughs> like many people, I guess. But yeah, when I was a kid, I was just fond of dinosaurs. I knew all of them, nearly all of them. I could tell you when they lived, where they lived, and why Jurassic Park was wrong. So I was very, uh, very much into it, and I wanted to be a paleontologist. But then growing up, well, like my path was really easy after high school. Well, just go, just go study biology. Why not do something else, right? And um, then I realized, well, there is maybe much more about these dinosaurs than just bones in the ground and and and, and then I started thinking about this whole dynamics well they went extinct things replaced them what are the processes governing this how come how come we happen to have had dinosaurs on our planet and then I started thinking about this whole uh, evolution as a as a, a bigger thing than just fossils in the ground and then I realized well maybe paleontology is just like scratching one part of a big thing, but if you study evolutionary biology, then you have access to a much, much larger uh, set of data and methods to answer really cool questions. So only a tiny bit awkward, but after that official final golden meme stream question, Henry and Raphael got so caught up in conversation that they actually forgot to say goodbye to us and officially end the podcast. So I sadly have to say goodbye for them, even though I wish I had the time to play out their entire nerdy conversation. But remember, if you want to learn more about Raphael's past and present research projects, you can check out the Meme Stream blog and ask him any more questions there. The Meme Stream is brought to you by the Erasmus Mundus program in evolutionary biology. Special thanks to the Meme Stream team for all their hard work and dedication to the project. Our intro music is written by the artist Magella, and the little ditty in the end was found in the depths of the internet by YouTuber Sunal Singh. You can follow the meme stream on SoundCloud to listen to new episodes, and please remember to rate and share our podcast to help us adapt and evolve. Yeah, it's evolution, it's Darwin's revolution, and it teaches us the history of life.